With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast, County Cricket Weekly. I'm James the Cricket Badger, as always, taking you through this one. And as always, joined by Knackle Pandey and the Fan Badgers. We'll get to them in just a second. But first of all, our special guest this week is the former Yorkshire batsman. He's been around a little bit. There's Kevin Sharp, but he's currently down there in Worcester. How are you, Kev? Very well, James, thank you. Apart from the little accident I had uh, slipping in the shower last week, just it for a, it's not the sort of thing a 62-year-old man should be doing. Just banged my knee a little bit and hurt my back, but I'm sure that our physio's on the case and he's, I'm sure, I'll be back, ready to go in a few days. Was thank the, you for asking. Was this, um, I mean, I've been telling you for years now that it should act your age. Was, was this a drunken accident or was this just a genuine accident? James, you know I'm a very disciplined man, so I'm very, <laughs> very surprised indeed that you would be asking these questions. No, I was... Just just arrived at the hotel in Northampton uh, prior to a second eleven game, and I was just nipped in the shower and uh, just managed not to be able to stay on my feet. <laughs> well, it's good to have you with us back on the uh, Cricket Badger podcast, Kev. Knuckle Panday is back with us as well. Knuckle, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm a little bit discombobulated after yesterday. I found myself commentating on parts of three different test matches, all of which uh, had rain at some point. Uh, so it was a little bit all over the place yesterday, but uh, delighted to be here and also delighted that Kevin's slip didn't turn out as disastrously as Ben Folks's. Yes, indeed. Abby's back. And Abby, you've been missing for a while because you've got a new job, haven't you? But how's that going? I have. It's going good. I've moved to a new house as well. So very, very busy life. But now the cricket season's back underway, I'm even busier. And, and you've returned to the grounds, have you? You two actually watched yeah. a few games yet? Yeah? Have you found that? So, 
I've returned to one ground so far. I've re- well, I've returned to Somerset's ground once so far for the Somerset versus Essex T20. Um, and then I've been up to Bristol as well to watch the England versus India women's test. But was that an emotional uh, reappearance yeah. at, a, at a county ground? Or did, yes, did, very yes. much so. I felt like I was tearing up when I got to Bristol Temple Meads <laughs> on the way to Taunton, but yeah. Well, it's good to have you back on this week, Abby. And Mark's back with us. He was uh, made his debut last week and he was so good. We brought him back in again. And uh, how are you? How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad. I'm a bit across uh, this weather's um, decided to go downhill. So I didn't get much cricket yesterday. I was working from home yesterday, so I managed to watch a bit of the bit of the women's cricket. But uh, could do with the sunshine coming out. I could do with Lance winning a few games away from home as well, because uh, we got beat by Worcester last week as well, which wasn't great. And then we got beat by Durham as well. So we're in a bit of a bit of a situation in the T20. I think away from. Well, on my screen, Mark, Kevin is underneath you and he was nodding rather nicely there with the Worcester's win over Lancashire. I think he quite appreciated that. Kevin, one of the things that Jason Gillespie always used to say to me when he was in charge at Yorkshire was, control the controllables, you can't do anything about the weather. Knuckles mentioned the weather, so has Mark. That's one of the things with cricket seasons that you just have to kind of take on the chin, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's always been the case. I mean, I can remember many years ago when I'd be in my early 20s, we didn't play for the whole month of May. We got our golf handicaps up well because it tended to rain overnight. We got to the grounds in the morning. The match was abandoned for the day and then we'd go off and find a golf course and play golf. But yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's just... For most cricketers, Kev, that sounds like the perfect day to me. You wouldn't get that with modern drainage. (laughs) No, well, fair enough. But I think it's something that, you know, as a cricketer, you you grow up with it, don't you? I mean, you you know, you know, we're always conscious of of the weather and checking the weather forecast and what it's going to look like. And... um, and, and you just got to live with that. I mean, I think after this last 18 months, a bit of rain and that sort of thing is is kind of maybe not as bad as what's been going on in the world. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a very fair point, Kevin Sharp, that there are proportions to all of this, aren't there? And a bit of rain isn't the worst thing in the world. How is life down there at Worcestershire CCC? How, how is everybody? Is, is the mood good? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I mean, I've been here, here eight years now and it's a, it's a lovely club to work for. I really enjoyed it down here. Uh, this year... Uh, we we started uh, in the championship reasonably well and got quite a few draws and then just had a bit of a blip for two or three weeks and lost a couple of games in the champo before the T20 started. And then we started the T20 campaign pretty well, really, apart from when we got Johnny Bairstow the other night, of course, uh, which I suppose we can talk about in a little while. But we, we, we had a remarkable tie against Knotts in the first game where we made one just over 150 and Knotts were absolutely cruising the game at, at 70-odd for none, six or seven overs gone, and we managed to claw our way back, got a couple of, we got Hales and Clark out, and managed to keep taking a wicket and managed to scrape a tie from it, which it didn't look like at all. So it was felt like a win, that, actually. That's one of the things with the T20s. You can almost win from any situation, can't you? It can look very one-sided, and all of a sudden the side bounces back. And if you can get into the habit of clawing your way back into those kind of games, that's a good habit to get into, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, I think that, it's such a fine line is T20 cricket. And I think the key to it is is belief, really, that anything could happen. And I think that's the one thing that certainly for our team over the last four or five years in, in T20 cricket, we've had that. I mean, we had a, a shocker last last season, but the previous, previous four years, you know, we've done quite well. We, we, we won the final in 2018. We lost off the last ball in the final in, in 2019. And it's a, 
we're quite a, a disciplined team in that. We're quite experienced now, and everybody knows their role. And uh, you know, we are very competitive. You know, we we um, of course beat Lancashire, as we've already chatted about. We played very well on that day. We were the best team on that day and deserved to win. And then we got these Yorkshire lads turning up last Wednesday. And um, we saw an outstanding innings from Johnny Bester where it was just difficult to bowl to him. He hit sixes even when he didn't time it that well. I remember when we were both at Yorkshire working and you were the uh, batting coach there. You, you started wearing a helmet in the nets, you and Ian Dews, didn't you? Because the likes of Johnny Bester were hitting the ball back so hard at you behind the bowling machine that you actually um, thought you might get hurt at various stages. So you started to wear protection because these guys do hit that ball with those big bats pretty hard at you. Yeah, Johnny was the first player that I wore a helmet to while he was batting. And of course, we were in the under the long room, the, the indoor school down there. You got your machine up, but you, you got your screen up, so you got your protection. But Johnny was whacking it high into the net, and it, and it was hitting the rails above where the net, where the you know where it joins the, the the top bit to where it goes down. And Johnny was hitting these metal rails, and it was ricocheting off these metal rails towards you. And I nearly got smacked on the head by one so I said that's it I'm not I'm not doing this anymore without a helmet so it, you know Johnny I mean Johnny played hockey as a as a boy he was, he was very skillful in, in many sports played football played rugby um, you know I believe he was on the I think he was on the academy at Leeds United yeah he was yeah as a, as a young player so very gifted sportsman and you know he's got such um, you know his wrists so sort of pliable and you know you could see that in his batting some of those shots that he played the other night, I and mean, there's not many people could do that. You, you say Moen Ali was came out with quite a statement after that game. Did I mean Moen is our T20 captain? It's been you know fantastic to have him around the last two weeks because he he just gives everybody a lift at our club. He's he's such a you know such a lovely bloke. He's such a smart leader and obviously a great player. But you know we were just sat chatting after the after the game the other night and. He just casually said that I reckon, and Moen said, I reckon that he's probably the best one-day batter in the world at the moment. Even when he got injured, he got injured, he, he, he rolled over, he's on his ankle, and I'm not sure that how long that's that's going to be before he's fit again. But it seems to, when something happens to him, whether he, you know, something like that, it seems to get him going even more. He was playing some great shots before that, and then when he got injured, when he thought he might be carted off, he carried on batting with Livy as a runner. Yeah. And then, then he hit it even further. There's, a, there's, there's been know, a few batsmen down the years like that, Kev. I remember that Gordon Greenwich innings at Laws when he was on one leg. There's a few batsmen that seem to get better when they, uh, when they, the, the less legs they have, the better they bat. Yeah, well, you, you, you know, the adrenaline, isn't it? Moen's um, tactics with Johnny the other night were to say nice things to him. You know, <laughs> not, 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 not getting riled in any sort of way. Just tell him he's batting well and you look good, Johnny. All that sort of stuff. Don't get him riled. So. Don't, get, don't get his hackles <laughs> up and he might he might get out. Yeah. Finally, finally from me, Kevin, before I hand it across to Knuckle and the uh, the fan badges for their questions to you. The uh, And one of the uh, th- um, things we've got in common is our love of Leeds United. Um, and it's worth mentioning that, I think, on this podcast, that they've done us rather proud, haven't they, since Marcelo Bielsa's come in, up from the uh, Championship into the Premier League, and a good season this season. Oh, James. I remember the days of Sprague, Greeny, Cooper, Bremner, Charlton, Hunter, Laurie McClark, Jones, Giles and Gray. Substitute Maidley back in the late 60s, early 70s under Don Revy. And then obviously we had a lean time. And then under O'Leary and Ridsdale, it got it got good again. 
for a few years, and then obviously the last fifteen or sixteen years have been. It, it got it, it got good again for a few years, and then went off a cliff, didn't it? <laughs> it went off a cliff, and it was awful for us as um, very caring Leeds United fans. And to see what's happened this last couple of years, well, it's it's a revelation, isn't it? it, it it's just fantastic. Gives you a lift. I, can't, I don't think I've missed a ball being kicked since you know since I've been in this Premier League, albeit on on TV. But you know, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it, of course, you're living on the edge of the seat of your pants because you're never quite sure what's going to happen. You can't take anything for granted with Leeds United, can you? Um, Nick Davis, who's a mutual friend of ours, you know him very, very well. He's uh, sent me a, a picture of you, um, himself at the grounds with a little crowdy pic um, of you. And um, he's basically sent me a message when he knew you were coming on the podcast. Ask him what his wife thinks of this. Well, I've been, I asked Jen if we could put it up in the bedroom above the bed. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't respond to that too well, James. I can't, I can't really understand it. I mean, the thing is, Nick's coming down here to Worcester on, uh, on Friday and he's bringing it with him. So between the two of us, we've just got to have a quiet word with, with Jan and just see if she, you know, she can um, accommodate this in a prominent place in the house somewhere. Well, Jan, if you're listening to this, part of marriage is to be reasonable, isn't it? And I think I think Kevin's got a reasonable suggestion there. So I think that I think you've got to give him something. Who knows wins? Download our app right now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and play against your friends with bragging rights and real money on the line. Who knows wins? Put your money where your mates are. Who knows wins in a league of their own? Um, Knuckle, across to you. Yeah, um, you you mentioned the the fine margins of T20, and you mentioned that coming to the fore in this game against Notts. I, I think I have to take you back. I, I was I covered finals day in 2019. That semi final, that first semi final, is one of the most extraordinary games of cricket I've ever seen. Did you ever think that there was a point where you were going to win that game until it actually happened? First semi final against Notts in 2019. Your gut feeling is that. You know, with three overs to go, that it's a it's a cruise for knots, and there's 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 you know to think you might get over the line from there is wishful thinking, and all you can do, and and, and I think I said this earlier, what our lads have, have been very good at is never giving in and never accepting that we've lost until you have lost. You know that when I think when I look back to that those last three overs, you know we caught a good catch. I think we got Christian caught out mid off. I think was it Pat Brown who caught that? Good leaping catch near the boundary, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it was. And and so we stopped every run. We stopped everything in the field. And this is what we did against Notts the other night. We, we, we did not bowl extras, and we stopped everything in the field, and we caught everything. And when it comes to this, to like we say, a fine line. One stop by a fielder can make the difference in a game. And yeah, I mean, look, the lads bowled it particularly well. They executed their plans well. It was a bit of a, let's say, a shock surprise when you think, oh God, and we get to the last over and this is this game's still alive. And of course, last ball, dot ball. Got it in the block hole and and, and, and there you go. And uh, that's the beauty of the game though, isn't it? I mean, I think that this is why T20 means a lot to a lot of people because of the excitement and the entertainment that it can bring. Uh, it was a, it was a fantastic game of cricket to cap a brilliant summer in 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 2019. So is that culture of fight for every little bit of advantage, particularly in T20 cricket, where Worcestershire have been, as you were saying, very successful? How long does it take to build that culture into a club? I think that. It takes time. I mean, you know, I came here eight years years ago under the leadership of 
Stephen Rhodes, fellow Yorkshireman, Steve from Bradford, known him a long time. He always had the lads so disciplined. They've always been very fit. We've got a fantastic SNC. We've had a brilliant physios getting the lads ready to go. And, you know, Steve was always a driver in the fact that, you know, you have you push it that little bit further, but just be that little bit ex, bit fitter than the opposition. And I think it's fair to say that that's what we are. We're a, we are actually quite a very fit, fit side. I mean, we've had lads who've come to the club uh, over the last few years who've been a little bit taken aback by how fit our lads have been. And then they've had to, you know, make sure that they get up to, up, up to that speed. And so the, the, the discipline of that has been has been there ever since I've been here. And Steve was at the club for many, many years. So, I mean, I think Worcester's been a club in many ways that's punched above its weight a little bit. It's not a test playing ground. It doesn't get some of the revenue that some of the, the, the clubs who play on the test grounds get. And so, you know, you have to produce your own players and, uh, and manage the budget sensibly. And, you know, when I look at that T20 final in 2018 when we won it, you know, there was probably, I think it was about eight players in that team who'd come through the Worcestershire Academy. And for a relatively small county without a massive catchment area, I think that I, I think that's a great achievement. I mean, the one thing about that I've enjoyed at Worcester, like I did at Yorkshire, was that there's a big emphasis on bringing your own players through. Yorkshire was the same with the academy. I absolutely love that. And it's, it's probably my favourite part of coaching is that bit about what I call the cradle to the grave which is seeing that 12 year old walk through the door and then eventually see him go on and play first class cricket that that must be immensely immensely rewarding it's even in a way even more impressive in Worcestershire you know Yorkshire's a massive I'm from Yorkshire a massive county massive catchment area um actually very competitive to get up through the ranks but Worcestershire um you know smaller catchment area and, and as you say le- less money but you know that's a, it is really noticeable whenever you watch Worcestershire particularly in the blast well that's good to hear you know i mean i i mean i've always you know people opposition have always commented and applauded about the way we go about playing our cricket in this competition and they know that when they play us we're, we're generally going to be a handful and so they you know the opposition will need to be at their best to to beat us and I mean having said that everybody can have a have an off day you know on, on the back of Johnny Burstow's inning the other night they got a lot of runs and then through trying to chase them we, we were pretty okay halfway but then we lost about five wickets for about 10 runs. But you've got to keep going. The new batsman's got to come in and keep going. So, but you will, you'll, you know, it, it is a fine line. You could look a really good side one day and you can look a poor side the next day. That's that's how it works. Abby, just bring you in. You're a Somerset fan. I mean, I guess you could make parallels, couldn't you, between Somerset and Worcester in nice grounds and uh, sort of similar sizes of clubs there. Also make parallels in the fact that we were defeated in Essex in the final. But my question to you, we've already talked about the rain. From a coach's perspective, in situations like with the World Test Championship, where it looks like there's going to be very, very little, if any, play, in situations like that for coaches, how difficult is it to motivate players when it looks like there's not going to be any result? Well, I guess it, it, one thing, it depends on facilities as well, where where you are, you know, what you've got, perhaps indoor facilities-wise, if... If it, if it is raining, because if you've got an indoor facility available, then, you know, lots of players would want to go and, and use that. And I mean, I, I give you an example of two or three weeks ago, we, our second eleven played at Northampton at, at the county ground and we, we lost the first two days through, through rain. 
But what we did was we spent hours in the indoor school and we not only just batting and bowling, but we did a lot of fun stuff, fielding drills, which almost a bit like a fitness as well. So bringing some, some fitness into catching and throwing and having some fun and playing with tennis balls and, you know, wind balls and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, just making sure that if it does rain, that one is, a, you know, can you utilise an indoor school? And I think it's always nice if players do have some hobbies or other things that they, that they can occupy their time while they're not playing, be it reading or playing games on computers. I don't know about that. I don't know what to do when it comes to that sort of thing. But, you know, having some sort of, I mean, you know, we've had one or two lads who've been doing part-time degrees online and stuff like that. So they might then go back to the hotel room and spend three or four hours doing some study. I mean, the, the, one of the issues, of course, that we have at New Road is that we don't have an indoor school because of the floods. You know, we we, we couldn't build on the on the existing buildings. We wouldn't there wouldn't we couldn't build something above. There wouldn't be enough space or room for it, and we can't we just can't build an indoor school because it's on a floodplain. So our nearest what we use as an indoor centre is Malvern College, which is six miles away. So really, on match days, if it's rain, or even on practice days, if it's rain. Quite often, there's no cricket. But I suppose it's part of the DNA of the Worcester player is to have to accept that. So, you know, that's a, you know, if you if you came from somewhere else and suddenly there's no indoor facility if you, when you want it, it, it could be, I guess it could be difficult. But there is a state-of-the-art indoor centre being built at the Worcester University, which is, has probably been a bit slower in going up because of what's happened over the last 18 months. But that's going to be as good as indoor centre as anywhere in the world when it's completed. And I, I believe that from what I'm hearing, we're hoping that ECB will use that with, I think, certainly disabled cricket will, will, will use that a lot. And hopefully women's cricket might use it as a centre as well. And hopefully maybe seniors because it's going to be a special a special centre when it when it's completed, and that's that's only one mile away from the ground. So that would definitely be an option if it was raining. Hope I've answered your question. Badges are furry creatures. Eighty five percent of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn off. Eighty percent of women badges think men should trim below the belt. Eighty nine percent of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscape.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Mark, let's bring you in. Any questions for Kevin? Yeah, Kevin, I just, uh, I remember you as the kind of the, the, the Northern David Gower, actually, uh, from your playing days. You kind of got, um, I remember you got 260, carried your bat for Young England against Young West Indies in 78 against a very strong West Indies attack. Winston Davis opening the bowl and everything. And after that, you were kind of talked up as the kind of next big thing. And I think it's fair to say it probably, you didn't, obviously didn't play for England in kind of senior level after that. It may, maybe not as worked out 
as it could have done. And you played in some spiky dressing rooms at Yorkshire at that time. I just wondered what lessons you've taken from, from your experiences as a player and maybe not quite living up to those expectations and the culture of dressing rooms. How have you, have you used those experiences as a coach in developing players and developing that kind of right culture, as you pointed out before? Well, what a brilliant question to ask. First and foremost, before I answer that, is when I made that 260 not out for Young England against the West Indies, do you know where it was at? I can't remember now. It was at Worcester. Was it? <laughs> I tell our lads that if I hadn't have declared, I'd, st- I'd still be batting now. I said I'd be about 120,000 not out at the minute, and the West Indies, West Indies bowlers would be about six inches tall. The, the odd flood, Kev, might have just kind of derailed you a little bit, wasn't it? <laughs> I'd never thought of that. Uh, but no, what a question. I mean, I think that, you know, for me, and I don't mind talking about this, is that as a young player, everything happened very early in my career. There was a lot of success. I was fast-tracked. I was playing for Yorkshire under-19s when I was 14. I made my second team debut at 16-year-old, uh, and I also made my first-class debut at 16-year-old at Scarborough against North Ants at the end of the 1976 season. and. I think I believe then I was probably the third youngest player at that time ever to play for Yorkshire. Yeah. You know, it was it was such a joy and everything was kind of going well. I was so focused and the concentration was good. I captained Young England against Australia and West Indies and there was talk of going on a, an overseas tour and everything like that. And, and I think just a few things went wrong off the field more than anything for me and that I just call it growing up finding out about other things in life relationships and things like that and few things when I'd my everything had gone so well and I had nothing to concern myself about when I started to grow up and get a bit older and find out about life as well as cricket I, I found it a bit difficult for a while and I, I kind of lost a bit of for a while, lost a bit of confidence and, and concentration, to, to say the least. And so I probably finished up, although I would say that throughout my career, you know, 10,000 first-class runs, 5,000 one-day runs, a, a, a very decent county cricketer, I, I always lived with the fact that I, I was disappointed that I never quite made it as an international. I felt as though I was good enough to do that, and I saw people around me doing that. And, and that kind of hurt me for a while, and I probably... Spent a lot of my career in in a, in a in a little bit of state of anxiety. Not all of it, but just probably, even though it may not have appeared that way, because I'm quite a, an outgoing sort of fun-loving person on the on the face of it. There were times when I that was probably a little bit of a front. You know, I, I didn't perform as well as I thought my capabilities were, but still had a, a you know a, a very reasonable county career. But having when I finished playing and, and accidentally went into coaching, I think that what I found is that I'd learned an awful lot, not just about me, but about life in general. And I'd learned to cope with difficulties along the way. And what it's done for me as a coach has allowed me to, to understand what young players might go through when they're developing from teenagers into adults and into professional cricketers and, and have a bit of an empathy for that because although we are playing professional sport and there's an ex- expectation to do well, people are still human beings and they have feelings and, and, and emotions and have bad days as well as good days. And I think that probably the experiences I've had hopefully would have stood me in good stead to be a rounded coach. And I think 
I've always found myself probably at my best when I've been in the middle of a club, when that's been our batting coach, second team coach. So we've kind of had a foot in both camps, if you like, one foot in the players' camp, one foot in the coaches' camp. You know, there'll be often be times when a player might share something with, with me that I haven't shared with other coaches because it's been in confidence and, and that comes through trust. So I think my philosophy of coaching really has been built around having trust in relationships. And if you've got that with players, then you can you can take it anywhere. So when I look back on it now, where I felt quite unfil- unfulfilled as a player and disappointed that it didn't happen that, that I became an international, I kind of reflect back on it now and it's not an issue at all. It's kind of been my journey and that was the way it's meant to be. And maybe if that hadn't have happened when I was younger, I still wouldn't be coaching at the highest level at 62 year old because there's not many people of my age still working in at this level. I can remember Kev talking to you, I think it was on a pre-season trip now, and we, we talked about form and you gave me a really good kind of a little bit, kind of two minutes about how you could go from county match to county match get a dodgy LBW in the first innings, not bat in the second innings because you, you, your first innings was big enough to kind of win the game without you being needed the second time around. You then go the next week and it might rain. The third week you get a dodgy LBW decision early on and get sawn off and don't bat again in the second innings. And all of a sudden you've gone four weeks without scoring a run after coming into the season with all high hopes and uh, and, and feeling good in the nets. And that that's where a coach comes in, isn't it? That's where a coach comes in to kind of say, you, you know, you're still good enough. You, you, you've just been, it's not quite going for you now, but carry on doing what you're doing because you're doing the right stuff. Well, I always use this story with some of the lads that a real live experience that happened to me. Once made, I was in the best form of my life in 1984. I'd made two or three hundreds on the trot nearly and I made a hundred against Derbyshire at Harrogate and I got out sloppy, soft. It was a weak dismissal, trying to whack it, caught me off, and I walked off and I thought, well, you know, it's another hundred in the bag. To be met by a fella called Jeff Boycott in the dressing room who gave me the biggest bollocking you've ever heard. And he says, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? He says, you've got a hundred runs. He says, there's 200 there for the taking because you're in good form and you're having some luck as well that goes with it sometimes when you're informed, and you've just given it away. He says, because I'm going to tell you something now. When you make 100, you make 200, because the day will come when you can't make a run. And I thought, right, okay. Anyway, this is what happened, and this is genuinely what happened. Next innings, I went in, and I'd bear in mind I'd made loads of runs for about five or six weeks, and also I'd had all the luck, drop catches and everything like that. And I got a half volley, leg stump half volley, and I clipped it. It went about six inches off the ground. The guy at square leg died full length and caught it one-handed. Didn't get any runs. So I'm out. Next game, we goes off somewhere else, and I get a dodgy LBW, given out. Probably wasn't out, but given out. Not. Then I went somewhere, then second innings, brilliant slip catch. Caught. Not many runs. And then suddenly, I didn't make a run for three weeks, and I was out of form. Mr. Boycott walked past me, and he looked at me and said, I told you, didn't I? And I, I've never forgotten that. And so I think, it, you know, and it, and it, it cost me by being reckless. It cost me my wicket on that day, but it, it had a knock-on effect. Mm. And it took me a while then to get back into form. So it's something that I always, I never forgot. And even when I went and played minor counties cricket after when I played for Yorkshire for five years, 
that when I left there, I made 900s for Shropshire, and the chairman made a little speech when I left, and he said, the one thing I admire about Kevin is when he got 100, he got a big one. I'd never forgotten it, because so when I got to 100, I started again. Yeah. And is, that, is that something you'd pass on to a, a, a current Worcester player then who's kind of going through a similar thing? Maybe maybe he's raced 105 and then gets caught at the long on. Is that a chat you'd have with him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're all human beings and it would be easy to take your foot off the gas. But so I would use story. I think one's experiences and all the, the trials and tribulations and experiences you've been through yourself, you bring that into your coaching. You know, so I mean, I've had that conversation there, which we've just had now with many a player over the years many many a player over the years hopefully it, it's helpful I mean one of the biggest conversations you have with a player is guys getting out in the 20s and 30s you mentioned Jeffrey Boycott there Kevin with listening to him on TMS of old that would be his biggest bugbear it's alright to get out on naught because your feet haven't got going you, you, everybody can get a good ball early on but get to 20 or 30 that's when you've got to make them pay well it is and it's you know you start your innings generally one starts an innings feeling a little bit anxious a little bit nervous which is as you know which often is a good thing because it helps you to get really focused. And then what can happen through an innings, once you've been in half an hour or 40 minutes or so, you, you start to relax a little bit and feel more comfortable at the crease. And then you might feel as though you could start to take advantage of the bowler. Now, that equally can be as dangerous because just a little bit of overconfidence or complacency then or playing the wrong shot to the, to the wrong ball costs you your wicket. And how many times do we say, how many times have we seen really what look talented players, you know, getting out soft, caught mid off, caught cover? Well, I mean, this is the thing with Zach Crawley and Ollie Pope at the minute. They come in, look a million dollars and then get out, don't they? And that, you need to have that conversation with them, maybe. The ECB, get Kevin Sharp into that England dressing room. Abby, let's come back to you because you're taking up cricket again, aren't you? We've got a coach with us here. To see if Kev can coach you into becoming the next big thing, um, because you had a little bit of an ab- an absence from cricket for a while. You've come back to it this year, haven't you? Um, yeah. How is your playing career going at the minute this summer? So my playing career, once again, I'm going to talk about rain. Um, my playing <laughs> career has come to a halt because all the matches that I was meant to play have been rained off. So I still haven't played a game officially. Hence your question, um, was it? Was that where your question came from? Yeah, but yeah. I started, um, there's a, a, Lydia Greenway, one of England women, um, has her own store of cricket stuff specifically tailored for women. So I got some stuff from there and I've been practising with that at home. Got myself a nice setup. I don't know what questions I have. Kevin, you've heard some Abby's situation there. What would be maybe some sort of foundation advice to give Abby in terms of how to approach her cricket? Is it, are we talking about batting or bowling? I'm better off with batting. Oh, well, I, I think I'm better at bowling than I am at batting, so I would like some batting practice advice. Make yourself into an all-rounder. Practice your batting as much as you do your bowling. Yeah. That gets you really involved in the game then. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think generally most players might have, even though they're the all-rounders, they might have a lean towards a slight strength in one more than the other. But if you could get yourself sort of batting around number six in a team and then you're one of the leading bowlers, you, you're engaged all the time. But have fun. Here lies the thing, is that quite often, I mean, the higher up the scale one goes, certainly into more of the professional game, is that we forget to have fun when we start playing because it becomes more and more responsibilities. And I don't necessarily mean fun as in ha-ha, Laughing fun. I mean, that internal sort of feeling of it's great to be here. I'm really enjoying this contest. 
you know, and revel, sort of live in the moment. Smell the flowers, I call it. So, you know, I might say to a player when we turn up at a ground, which is your favourite tree? And they say, what? I said, which is your favourite tree on the ground? And all I'm doing is trying to make them live the moment and be aware of what's, what's going on around them, really. But I think for women's cricket now, it's never been better, has it? I mean, the opportunities are there now far more than, you know, what they ever were. And, you know, there's, there's more coverage. There's an acceptance now that, that women's cricket is big. And, you know, you know, you've got great opportunities now to, to, to go on and, 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 and fulfil some ambitions. I mean, I was part, I was actually, when I left Yorkshire as a player, in 1992 and went started in coaching I was part of the England women's coaching team that won the World Cup at Lords in 1993 which is a long time ago 28 years ago and that was very early in um, in my coaching career uh, Ruth Prido then was the the team coach and then she had myself and a guy called John Bown as assistant coaches and what an experience that was it was just awesome beat Australia in the semi-final and beat New Zealand in the final at Lords. It was brilliant. Enjoy Knuckle, it. Knuckle, you got anything else for Kev? Yeah, you were talking about, I'm interested, the, you coach some players, I mean, thinking particularly of Moeen Ali, it's a slightly different playing journey to yours in the in the sense that, uh, you know, you were on the verge of making making it to the England team, but never quite made that stuff up. Moeen has been in and out and in and out and is now out again. Is there anything from your from your playing days that you could say to a player like Moeen Ali or a player who thinks that they maybe should be making that step up but but haven't how how would your playing experience help help you coach them or help you mentor them N- knuckles moen ali's number one fan as well aren't you knuckle i think george de bell's ahead of me in the fan club <laughs> but, uh, but i do uh, uh, but yeah moen ali is my favorite england cricketer of all time fair enough you wouldn't be on your own i don't think you know i mean he's you know what what's so not good about mo is that he's yeah, is, is, yes, we know how, how, how dangerous he is as a batsman. He's obviously his spin bowling has developed up in, 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 for him to be an awesome off spinner now. Um, his leadership is exceptional. He, you know, the way he talks to the boys in the in the dressing room and out on the field is is so smart. You know, the messages he delivers just always is very motivational to everyone. And I would say that that for Mo, I mean, where I feel for Mo a little bit is the fact that I remember, I mean, Moore has always been a high-order batsman. You know, he's always gone in in the top order as he was growing up. And when he finished up batting at number eight or whatever for England, I think that was would have been quite hard for him, really hard to do that, because I can remember at the back end of my career, having been used to batting in the top four, I batted six and I couldn't do it because... When your team was batting, you were used to strapping your pads on and mentally preparing for going to the crease. And if you're batting down the order, you're not doing that. You probably, your mindset is to do that. But if you're batting number seven or eight, it could be hours and hours and hours before you get to the crease. The waiting didn't suit you? It didn't suit me. And I should imagine that that would be the same for lots of players. And I would think that Mo would have found it very difficult going in at, say, number eight. Not so bad if he was batting with a, went in with a high-order batter, who he, you know you knew might be at the crease for a long time. But if he was batting with 9, 10 and 11, I, I think he would have felt as though he had to take the responsibility on of that and, and be the main run scorer. And that just might then, it could well for me, that might be when you'd start slightly go higher risk with your, with your stroke play. 
you know, we know Moses Stroke player. He's a very dangerous player. He's one of these guys who, you know, he could he, he could look to get out with an awful shot. And then a bit like they said about David Gower back in the day, you know, Gower on his day just looked sublime. But then he looked as though he could get out that looks a bit sloppy. But that's the package, isn't it? And uh, Moe's a match winner. What's probably been most difficult for him is when he's had to try and come to terms with batting really low down the order because he's had to, he's never complained about anything and all he's had to do is adjust. You, you know, he's, he's not really had a set place, has he? Set position in, in any form of the game, really, where he's, he knows that that's where he's going in and that's his role. So he's had to kind of adjust to different positions in the batting order and... Uh, he did it really well for a few years. There was a period where he was batting. He was batting like a batter at eight rather than batting like a number eight, which I think was in, in incredibly impressive. But I'm just thinking of when he, you know, now that he's back with Worcestershire more regularly now. I, and I was using him as a as an example, but I'm, I'm thinking kind of over the type of player who might be looking to push on to representing, to pushing onto the Lions or pushing on to representing their their country. You want them to be focusing on their task at hand and focusing and being in the moment and doing the things that will get them higher recognition. But you also know that they're probably looking a bit further ahead. What can you do to keep help keep them grounded and focused on just doing the things that they need to do rather than thinking too far ahead? We know that thinking about the past or the future really doesn't, is not that helpful. I mean, it's always good to have goals, but the, the best thing you can do is live in the moment. You know, to make a hundred, you can only do it. You can't do it in one hit. You can only do it one ball at a time, one over at a time, five overs at a time. So it's it's kind of like what I would talk about with a batsman is, is small building blocks. That, that, that's it. You, you, you know, you, how do you eat an elephant? One bite, <laughs> one, one, one bite at a time, isn't it? I'd, I'd start at the trunk, Kevin. I think. I'd start at the trunk and just work my way through. Well, you'd always do it differently, James. <laughs> you would always. I, I never thought. I never, I never thought, Kevin, you're looking really serious. You were thinking that one through. How do you eat an elephant was not the thing I was expecting to come out of your mouth. I think you'd worry about the tusks if you were starting from the front. I think you might go from the other side. <laughs> but but so it, so it is that it is that simple then. It's about conceptually simple, not difficult, not simple to do, but about just little yeah. increments. I, yes, I mean, I, I call it process. It's good to have a goal, a lot, uh, you know, if you want a target goal. Yes, I want to play for England. Yes, I want to play 50 test matches. Yeah, I want to make a 1,000 runs this year. Yeah, I want to take 60 wickets. Absolutely fine. But the key to that is the only way you can do it is through the process. I want to take five wickets in this game. Well, fate might not allow it. You know, when we all know bowlers have bowled fantastic spells and not got a wicket because there are certain things that are, are beyond your control. You know, Jimmy Anderson might bowl the best outswinging seaming delivery and batsman might keep missing it. He's not forced to nick it to slip, is he? And if he does nick it to slip, what if he drops it? <laughs> so that's beyond. All you can, all, all, I would say to any player, any player, and I think this is the key to it, is uh, when you sat there ready to go out and play, whether you're batting or bowling, is do you know in your own mind that you've prepared yourself in the best way that you possibly can for today's play? When you sat there with your pads on, have you done exactly what you need to do to help you get success today? If the answer is yes, then that should give you confidence and belief that you've done all that. And then in many respects, you know, it's... it's um, 
it's in the lap of the gods a bit because we all need a bit of fortune as well, as well as doing the right things and making the right decisions. I mean, I wrote um, last summer d- during lockdown. I'd, I'd always, I've always believed that there's a, a difference between playing cricket and knowing how to play cricket. So I wanted to get it down on on paper. So I wrote a document which I've shared with a number of people and it incorporates everything about what you need to be to be successful. And that's from a cricketing perspective, it's it's technical, tactical, it's physical, it's lifestyle, it's mental. All those things, a combination of the person to allow you to, to be at your best. Kevin, I think we should get together. And we should turn this into a published book and it has to be entitled, How Do You Eat an Elephant? I'm going to come back to Mark and Abby in a second for one final question to uh, Kevin Sharp, our guest today, the Worcestershire coach. But we did have Chris Rushworth on the uh, podcast last week, Kevin, and he's left a question for you. Mr. Rushworth, a bowler of some repute. His um, question was along the lines of, you've got a number of young very talented um, bowlers at, uh, at New Road at the moment who are um, heaps of potential there. What's your vision on how they're going to progress um, A, through the ranks at Worcester and how far can they go? Well, we do have some rich resources, that is for sure. We've got a number of, of talented young bowlers, number of them are still relatively young. So, you know, it's kind of trying to mix. We brought in Alzari Joseph this year early on to have some to experience to these lads. We knew we'd got such a heavy schedule because we've got pretty much a county championship every week for, for just about nine weeks. We didn't miss a week. We went right through till T20 started. Uh, we get our break a little bit bit later. You know, we've got a fantastic bowling coach in Alan Richardson who who's, uh, has done it himself uh, in first-class cricket. It's a matter of, you know, having a plan for... Their, their progression and when when it when it's it's right for them to play and when it's right for them not to play and and I mean fortunately this year we've had plenty of second team cricket so lads have, have had you know opportunities to to still keep playing we've had a little bit of a rotation policy most of these lads have had an opportunity to play and you know it will manifest itself through a period of time but we're very conscious that you know you you got to get your workload right. There's always an injury or two along the way. It's managing that. I would not feel as though at the moment that there's anybody who's really missing out mm. in their experience. But perhaps there always might be one that you'd like to get more. You'd like to get more cricket for. But that—that's the nature of the game. You've only got it's, 11, 11 shirts, haven't you? At the end of the day, you have, and you need a squad. You know, we have trust in all of these lads, and you know, we've got lads like. Pennington and Tong at the minute who are playing quite a lot of first team cricket um, and then we've got other young lads behind that um, we've had a lad called Adam Finch who's, who went on Surrey to Surrey on loan last year and did really well for three championship matches you know he's pushing for a for a place and then we've got other younger ones uh, underneath that who, um, who will push in time How's Pat Brown coming on? He had that, he had that injury that um, he missed quite a bit of cricket through. I know he's playing some seconds this year. Yeah, Pat's had a, a, a back injury. He's, he's in recovery now and he's um, he's just unfortunately had little relapses which have, have just keep setting him back a little bit, uh, which has really been unfortunate because the plan for him this year was to, first of all, play some four-day second-team cricket because... He wants to play red ball cricket. He's played very little of it in his career. So he, he wants to learn how to bowl with a red ball, a juke ball, which he behaves a bit differently to a white ball. 
does more basically, he swings more and it nips yeah. around. So, so the plan was for him to play some red ball second team cricket, yeah, push for a first team place if that if it was going well. And then we've had some second 11 T20. Um, so for him prior to the first team starting, so to play maybe three or four second 11 T20 games and then straight into the first team for first team squad for T20 and then be ready for the 100 ball. But it's not quite worked out that way, I'm afraid. He's just had the odd relapse and set back with it. And so he's, he's been having, you know, he's had a, he's had um, some treatment and, you know, the, the physio's working very closely with him on that. He had to miss uh, a week and then he missed another week and, missed another, and then he came and played a second team game two days ago. He only bowled two overs, but I believe he came through it physically okay. So... Fingers crossed that he'll be ready. We don't play again now till next Tuesday. If he's, if everything's okay and he's and he's fit, he may he may be in that squad. Fingers crossed. He's an exciting prospect. He's got some. He's got some not unique skills per se, but he he he's so good at them. Yeah, I mean, look, he came on. Pat came from nowhere, really. You know, he was on our academy and. He, he went through the ranks very quickly and broke onto the scene in, in T20 cricket and was a revelation. He's got these, these disguised slower balls, foxed a lot of world-class batters. And so, you know, he came and did obviously have that wonderful season in 2018 and played his part on finals day. And, and then suddenly he's, he's in the England squad and, you know, he's played international for England. And then after that, sadly, that's when he got injured. And, you know, it's been uh, his recovery is taking some time you know, it's been a, for him, it was a rise to fame very quickly. And now he's he's having to almost reinvent himself a little bit now and start again, you know, build himself back up. Because what happens with injury is that you can lose confidence as well. You know, it's a knock-on effect, isn't it? You know, he'd be concerned like a lot of bowlers would be when they've had these sorts of injuries. That There's a, an underlying fear that it might happen again. And so you have to, and it only you'll only overcome that through, through actually bowling and bowling and bowling and it doesn't happen again and suddenly you think, oh, I might be okay now. But sadly for Pat, he's just had a couple of setbacks and so his road to recovery hasn't been as as quick as we'd all hoped, really. Mark, a final question for Kev from you. Modern coaching has come in for a little bit of um, a little bit of criticism in the last week or two. We've had Michael Averton in the Times saying that, you know, players are told to work it out themselves these days and Steve James has been kind of uh, questioning modern coaching he kind of his article in the Times kind of went through each player one by one in terms of their techniques and questioned modern techniques of coaching do you think some of that criticism is a little bit misguided in terms of um in terms of severity of it you know because um as you say it's about developing cultures and confidence and it seems to me that some of the criticism this week of modern coaching has been a little bit over the top. It's an interesting one. I mean, I'm, you know, I think what has happened over the years, certainly at, at grassroots level, there's not as much uh, delivery on technique as what there was back in the day when I took my level one, level two, and I started tutoring. When I went to Shropshire, I started tutoring level one, level two. And I wish I'd have known more about that as a player because you learn more about grips and alignment and stability, balance, head position, eye still, head level, non-negotiable, all that sort of stuff. And I think that, you know, what we've seen of late is if you compare, let's say, compare England to New Zealand's batting, Mm. what you'd see from New Zealand is really old school stuff, good basic technique and fantastic levels of patience and concentration. 
I'm sure Kane Williamson leads the way in that with that batting group there in New Zealand. And bottom line is they're hard to get out in Test cricket. Yeah. Because they leave, defend and hit the bad ball. Good old school batting that pays dividends in Test cricket. I think what we've seen from England is, and this is the interesting one, yes, we've got some players in that batting lineup who have different techniques or unusual techniques. Now, I don't say that that's wrong because there's been lots of players been fantastically successful at the game, who but with a slightly unusual technique. Graham Smith was one who played for South Africa, opened the batting for South Africa, closed the face of the bat on the ball when he played it, he went through leg side a lot. Steve Smith's technique's unusual. His bat comes out from point and it comes round. So, but he's he's one of the leading players in the world. So for me, it's been more from what I've seen with the England batting, it's been short selection and a little bit of impatience. And now whether that's um bit of anxiety. I mean, you know, the, Eng- the England team has chopped and changed so much through all this COVID stuff with everything that's gone on with bubbles and coming and going. And you can argue, you know, there's guys who've been in the test team before who are not in it now. Should they, you know, but they're playing one-day cricket. I can think of two off the top of my head. Bairstow and Butler mm. playing for the counties, but not in the test playing one T20 cricket. I know there's some one-day internationals coming up for England and they're part of that. But, you know, it's kind of like, well, there's there's guys been given an opportunity, but there's been a lot, an awful lot of chopping and changes. But that that whether that's right or wrong, I, I'm not, I haven't got the answer to that. But what, what I will say is that from what I've seen is that the, the patience and concentration hasn't been as good as the opposition's. As a coach... I've always worked as a batsman. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to to work with some fantastic players. Joe Root walked through the door at 12 years old. I worked I worked with Joe as a kid right through to playing first class cricket. We worked a lot on technique, the way he held the bat so he could prevent pre- present the full face of the bat to the ball. His feet movements. We went through hours and hours of soul searching when he started to grow and get tall because he he fell over. It was like Bambi on legs for two 18 months. He openly admit that. He got LBW nearly 20 times on the trot for falling over. And that's because he, he at, at 15, 16, he was tiny. And then suddenly in two years, he grew massively into being quite a tall fella. And his balance was all over the place. So in those years, we had to, technique was so important that we had to work on his feet, widening his stance, getting this, that, you know, back and across, did that work, what, what worked for him to help him get through that. And, you know, so, so for Joe... The way his his feet move and the and the position of his his hands and his head and his eye levels are so important mm. as it is to many players. So for me as a coach, I mean, I I do believe that there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's there's more than one way to arrive at the bus stop, if you like. But I've got one non-negotiable, and that is uh, on the point of release. You you've got to have head still and eyes level because that gives you the best chance of judging where the ball is. Because the best players. Judge length best, as far as I'm concerned. They know whether to play forward or back very quickly. And you can only do that if your head's still and your eyes are level. If your head is slightly going like that, if you were to look at a target in front of you and just nod your head like that at something, it's not easy to focus on it. If you were to have your eyes at that level and look at that target for, and you look at it for a short while, it's not easy. You get a headache after a couple of minutes. Yeah. But to look at it like that, with head still, eyes level, you could stand there and look at it forever. Abby, the final question of today's podcast goes to you. Well, Kevin, 
Jacques Banton has just signed up with Worcestershire for the rest of the summer, hasn't he? Um, brother of Somerset's beloved Tom Banton. How is he looking? And do you think he is likely to make first team debut by the end of the summer? Oh, look, I mean, Tom's a very Tom, Tom, Jack. <laughs> They're both very talented. Which one have you signed, Kev? Do you know? Yeah, we've signed Jack. Uh, <laughs> younger one. I don't know. I met Tom. I met Tom a couple of times this summer as well. So that, that was quite nice to chat to him. But no, Jack's he, um, he plays at Barnt Green in the Birmingham League. Good, very good standard of cricket. Performs well there. He bowls slow left arm. He bats high in the order. And he's very talented. He, he's put in some good performances for us. And I think that with all the one day stuff that's coming, we've got not only have we got the rest of the T20 competition, but we've got the 50 over comp for the counties coming up. And of course, what happens is that staffs will get reduced. At the moment, we've got four players who are in the in the 100 ball competition. Who knows, we might lose more. I believe there's going to be another draft before the 100 starts. Any players now who are playing, any players who are doing well in the T20 in the minute could get picked up in the 100. So that that could happen. So so what we've done is is, is we've strengthened our squad and, and, and Jack has performed really well in second team cricket. So he's been given the opportunity to have a little bit of security and, and fingers crossed he'll go on and play well for us. Will, will he play? Don't know. Depends on the balance of the team and what might happen with other players leaving us for 100 ball, maybe. Well, thank you, Kevin Sharp, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you and to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast. Your final task today, Kevin, is to leave a question for our guest next week. And our guest next week is the uh, Gloucestershire all-rounder, Ryan Higgins. What are we going to ask him on your behalf? Well, I don't know Ryan particularly well at all. I really spoke to him at all, but I've seen him play. And he's a very talented young player. And I seen him, I believe he made 300 in a, in a second team game for Middlesex against Worcester. I saw that. I was there on that day. And I've seen how he bowls in, uh, in one day cricket. Well, in all forms of cricket. So what I see is a, is, is a guy who's highly respected around the circuit, who's considered to be a very, very good cricketer. And I've heard, you know, our players say that. So my question to Ryan is, on the back of all that, is what are your ambitions for the future and do you do you see yourself playing at the next level? Okay, well, we'll write that down and ask Ryan Higgins that next week, courtesy of Kevin Sharp. Kev, no as, pressure. A, no <laughs> as always, a great pleasure to have you back on the podcast, mate, and uh, hopefully see you soon. Thank you, mate. Great to talk to you, James, as always. And, uh, and guys, thank you. Thanks to Knuckle and to Mark and to Abby, Knuckle and the fan badges this week. And uh, we'll be back again next week, as we said, with Ryan Higgins, the Gloucestershire All Rounder. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.